1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Online at KDOS1060.com and now with the new KDOS 1060 app. Apple and Android users download. Take advantage of the listener rewards. The app powered by Superbook Sports. He is Bob Camp. I am Kayla Mortolaro with you on this Thursday, February 23rd, up until 1 p.m. today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll make room for Doug Haller of The Athletic around 12.15, getting into plenty of Valley topics. ASU basketball, U of A basketball, they face off on Saturday. Some Suns, and if we have some time, some Arizona Cardinals as well. But let's reset the scene, figure out where we stand as it currently is right now with the poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. ASU basketball, rank your level of disappointment regarding the Pac-12 regular season. Moderate continues to lead the way at 60% of the vote, high trailing at 30%, and low now getting some love at 10% of the vote. Yeah, um... I guess, you know, one time when we got rolling a couple hours ago in the sports zone, this was like a, you know, a complete split, you know, 33%, 33%, 33%, and then you can do the math to get to 100. Uh, so I was pretty impressed with myself at that point. So there's been separation since then. <laughs> We'll answer this question and give the final results around 1230 today. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Bob had a conversation with Jesse Alger talking all things Padres. And if you missed that podcast over at KDUS 1060.com. So the question here appropriately Padres 2023 win loss total over under 93 and a half wins and under continues to lead the way at 60% of the vote over sitting at 40%. They've certainly spent a lot of money in the offseason to get themselves to the over. Yeah, just not the offseason, uh, but obviously at the trade deadline right. last year in addition to that. And then, you know, in addition, you throw in the, you know, the Bogarts uh, offseason acquisition uh, and, you know, plus the, you know, the contract extension with you, Darvish, till he's like 103 years old. Uh, but uh, as Jesse pointed out, that guy keeps himself in an amazing condition and so forth. Uh, and then they went out and added uh, Michael Walker, which I thought was really a shrewd move. I remember we talked to Bob Nightingale from USA Today oh, about a month ago or so, and uh, Michael Walker was by far, at least in our opinion, uh, I don't want to speak for Bob, but he didn't disagree with me, I don't think, uh, that day that uh, Walker was the best free agent pitcher still on the market. And he, uh, the Padres added him since then. And uh, he's going to be basically their fourth starter to begin the season, even though you can flip around probably fourth, four and five for the uh, Padres. But, you know, they seem to be pretty solid the first three if you believe in Blake Snell. Uh, and uh, it depends on what day he's pitching, if you believe in Blake Snell or not, at least if it's me. Uh, but uh, you know, they're, they've definitely, I think they've added positions that uh, definitely, uh, their offense, they were only like 13th in runs scored last year, which I think is somewhat of a surprise to many people. 
you know, the bottom of their lineup was not great, uh, but it seems like they've taken care of what the, their so-called weaknesses were last year during this past offseason. Has it surprised you? You mentioned you, Darvish. Has it surprised you where he's currently at in terms of the starting rotation, where he's at in terms of what he's commanded uh, contract-wise, and some of the success that he has had here of late? Of late, a key, key phrase there, of late. I mean, he had some days in Chicago, uh, quite frankly, a lot of those when Contreras was catching him. And uh, as soon as Carantini became his personal catcher, uh, Darvish was, you know, dominant. Uh, in fact, uh, just to throw in a fantasy angle here, which I'm sure some people hate, but I'll just give you an idea of where I stood with Darvish at one time. I actually had Darvish on a fantasy team, and I'm sure I paid for him. I paid up to get him, and he was so bad in the first half of the season, which I think was 2019, uh, somewhere in that ballpark, uh, that he was so bad I dropped him. And then he was also so bad that like two weeks later when uh, Caratini became his catcher and Contreras was not catching him, uh, that he was still available on a waiver wire in a a deep league. And I picked him back up and he helped me uh, win win the championship in my league that year. So that's kind of where he got since. Remember when when Darvish got traded to the Padres, Caratini was also part of that trade. Uh, is a kind of a, a package deal as far as pitcher and catcher go. Uh, but uh, you know, the fact that uh, Darvish just turned things around and it's also probably not the worst thing in the world if you're pitching your home games in San Diego. <laughs> That's not too bad. Uh, so I'm, I'm not surprised now. I was surprised at the time that he wasn't that effective, but for whatever reason it wasn't a, a good marriage between him and Contreras. But quite frankly, if I'm a pitcher, uh, I'm not uh, you know, thrilled about throwing to Contreras. That's why I kind of wonder about the St. Louis rotation this year after they went out and spent so much money on Contreras this past offseason. Uh, switching here back to the NFL, uh, Dom Capers back with the Carolina Panthers. He's joining the staff as a senior defensive assistant. Capers, though, was the franchise's first ever head coach in total from 1995 to 1998. He was 30 and 34. His best year was 1996 when he was 12 and 4 and lost to the Packers in the NFC Championship game. But when you take a look at this assemblance of this Panthers coaching staff, it's quite interesting. So you have Frank Reich as head coach. Then you have Thomas Brown as the offensive coordinator. He's coming to the Panthers from the Rams as a tight ends coach, assistant head coach. Parks Frazier, we didn't know who Parks Frazier was until Frank Reich was uh, let go by the Colts and he became the offensive play caller during that stint. But he's coming over to the Panthers as the passing game coordinator. Then you have former Cardinals wide receiver coach who had a lot of love and shine in uh, hard knocks in season. Sean Jefferson, he's going to be the wide receivers coach for the Panthers. Josh McCown, he's going to be the quarterbacks coach. He had interviewed for several positions in the NFL, most notably with the Texans a couple of different times, but he's going to be the QB coach. Then Deuce Staley is the assistant head coach and running backs coach. And then, of course, Jim Caldwell is the senior assistant, kind of uh, filling in on that side. 
uh, Ijiro Avero is the defensive coordinator. He was the D.C. with the Broncos last season. D'Angelo Hall is an assistant defensive backs coach. It is his first coaching experience, however. And then, of course, Dom Capers coming in to lend his assistance on the defensive side of the ball. So certainly this is quite a cast for the Panthers on the coaching staff. Yeah, a lot of credibility for a lot of those guys. And when you have, uh, you know, former head coaches, you know, that's uh, something that, you know, Cliff Kingsbury talked about with Vance Joseph. Uh, he, uh, you know, he has somebody to kind of, uh, you know, you know, buffer things off of, ideas, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I'm not exactly sure how Capers is going to fit in here or Caldwell for that matter. Uh, but to have those guys with, you know, former head coaching experience on your on your team, I think that uh, Reich has done uh, a really good job, and uh, yeah, I'm not exactly sure who also is involved in the process for the head coaching situation, and I mean, excuse me, the assistant coaching situation in uh, Carolina. But uh, you know, they've certainly surrounded themselves with a lot of people that have head coaching experience and uh, have been highly thought of as assistant coaches in Staley's case. And it leads us to the big question: Who's going to quarterback the Panthers? Right. Uh, maybe Frank Reich. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, he's probably had the most success of anybody on their roster as, a, as an NFL starting quarterback. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, I'm not completely against Darnold, who actually had some decent moments. You know, they made a run uh, you know, after he became the starting quarterback and they got Baker out of there. Uh, I would assume if they you know, went back and uh, thought this over again, but they traded for, you know, Mayfield and he was going to start but if Darnold had actually started the season would they have made the playoffs yes okay I agree with you so <laughs> we'll see he's not great but uh you know I would assume that uh you know they're I, you know, I'm not sure if they're you know they may they will probably won too many games to get one of the top two or three quarterbacks and then once we get to the draft and once we you know we'll get to this I'm sure Probably even soon, starting soon with the, uh, with, you know, with the uh, you know, draft process and the combine starting in the next couple of weeks or next week, right? Um, soon. Uh, the, you know, I don't know if the Panthers are in. You know, I don't know how many. I have a differing opinion of many of the quote top quarterbacks and the so-called uh, you know, mock draft experts out there. I think you're you're right about Sam Darnold. He's not great. We show we saw his limitations. They started to uh, kind of rear their ugly head in some pivotal games that the Panthers were trying to win down the stretch. Uh, but I do think that Baker Mayfield to start his tenure with the Panthers was just so terrible. He was putting them in such perilous situations that Sam had kind of eliminated some of the turnovers that I think they would have won some of those games. Yeah, when they lost games at the end of the season, I think that had more to do with defensive backfield injuries than yep. it did the quarterback. Absolutely. Uh, some news that we didn't get to yesterday around the NFL, but the Titans released offensive lineman Taylor Lewan. Uh, he played his high school football at Chaparral. The Titans were making many moves yesterday as well as they released Robert Woods, wide receiver. He tweeted out yesterday, quote, free so i think that's safe to say that he's happy about being released uh the <laughs> titans also released kicker randy bullock and at this point in time when they had all three of those players on the roster they were over the cap by 25 million dollars now they sit at 4.23 million dollars under the cap yeah they literally could not make a roster move <laughs> without making some uh, alterations to their current uh, group so those guys were gone yeah, I had a pipeline question today whether the Cardinals should be interested in Taylor Lewan. 
Uh, I think there's questions of whether he's going to continue his career, unfortunately, for Luan. He's only played 20 games over the last three seasons. He's had two seasons in with ACL surgeries. He's 31 years old and actually is uh, is uh, maybe I'm desperate. I don't think it's too strong a word with the Cardinals, but I think there are a lot of teams that need to add offensive linemen, if not everybody, uh, for the most part, unless you're like the Eagles. Uh, that uh, you know, offensive linemen are kind of scarce out there, and certainly guys that have been successful in the past, and Lawan falls into that category. But I don't think the Cardinals uh, should really uh, show much interest in Lawan right now. And like I said, I'm not even sure. And I read a couple of quotes yesterday, which seem to be somewhat vague, as to whether he's going to continue playing or not. Uh, then sticking with the local high school product theme, Brock Purdy uh, is set to postpone his UCL surgery yeah, he has. at yeah. doctor recommendation due to ongoing inflammation in the elbow. Yeah, it does, this is from way afar, and I'm going to make a, like a medical assessment here, which is just stupid in both cases probably, but I think it's really unlikely uh, to believe that Purdy is going to be much of a difference maker early next season in San Francisco. And I uh, think that's, you know, Trey Lance time. It's interesting and, fa- and fascinating, right? Because so Brock Purdy got his opportunity due to injuries. Now injuries are probably going to give Trey Lance back an opportunity. Yeah, and I know Lance, when they had their final, uh, you know, after the Niners were eliminated by Philadelphia, by Philadelphia in the playoffs, you know, they had their final uh, you know, regular media session chat, and uh, it sure seemed as if Lance was way ahead of progress for his, for his rehab, and we'd be back and uh, available for either the mini camps or the OTA or both before training camp, long, you know, one month or two before training camp even starts. Doug Haller of The Athletics set to join us on the other side of the break. It is The Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com, and download the new KDOS 1060 app. We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. here on KDOS AM 1060 and kdos1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the new KDOS 1060 app now available for Apple and Android users. Set to have a Valley Sports Conversation, Doug Haller of The Athletic as we pop on out to the KDOS hotline. Doug, it's Kayla and Bob. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. How are you guys? We're doing well also. Uh, Let's get things started here with ASU men's basketball. On the season, they're sitting at 19-9, 10-7 in Pac-12 play. Once again, potentially finding themselves on the outside looking in for March Madness. When you look at this program as a whole, 2020 was going to be the year that everything could have changed for the trajectory of ASU men's basketball. COVID shut it all down. Five-star recruits have since come and gone without the splash in the win column. Is Bobby Hurley's time at ASU running out or another year to see if he can build on something like he did in 2020? Well, that's a great question uh, to start off with. Um, And I think there's a lot of different ways to answer it. I think if if they don't make the NCAA tournament, I think for a Pac-12 
school to go three years without making the tournament, it's reasonable to ask uh, a coach who's been around for eight years, like Bobby, you know, if his uh, time is, has come to an end. I think that's reasonable. What I can't answer, Kayla, is I don't know where basketball uh, right now fit, fits into ASU's priorities. Uh, just given the fact that you know they've put they've put so much time and resources into getting football right. And as we know, that's still that's an ongoing thing. I mean, obviously they got uh, a new coach with Kenny Dillingham and the staff, and uh, there, there's there's a buzz around the football program. There's no question about that. But I just don't know how quickly you can go from making all those changes to say, okay, now we're going to start over with our basketball program. Um, and the reason I say I don't know how how important it is is, I mean, you just look at the arena that they're playing in. Um, you know, Desert Financial. Arena was outdated more than 10 years ago, and now you're asking a coaching staff to recruit to a place where, you know, they don't like to take, uh, you know, recruits on visit. They don't like to take them over to the arena a lot because the, you know, just the facilities there aren't great. So, you know, a legitimate question to be asked, I think, but it's just impossible to answer because I just don't know if ASU's in position to make it, make a change if they want to make a change. Yeah, I'm sure you've looked into this to some extent, but you know they've gotten off to really good starts. They've had some very impressive wins in the Hurley era in uh, November slash December. It seems as if they've unfortunately had some teams that really haven't improved, like during the conference season. Any reason for that? Yeah, ideas of how that's happened. I think it's an accurate assessment. You disagree if you want to just you know go ahead and disagree with that if you want, but uh, I think there's expectations after November and December, you know, more than occasionally seem to fall short. No, I, I don't think there's, you can really um, disagree with that, Bob. I mean, I think if you go back and look, even the year that they started, uh, I believe it was 17 and 18 when they started, they went through the non-conference season without losing and was up to th- third in the country. Uh, and then, you know, got in the conference play and finished with a losing record and, you know, just uh, kind of had to, Get back, you know, kind of was pulled back to the bubble. Um, why that is, I, I'm not so sure. I think during the non-conference season, um, you know, coaches have, you know, you're just, you don't, the opposing coaches, the guy, the guys you're going up against, they just kind of prepare, take a couple days to prepare. Whereas the conference, you're, you know, you're, there's more familiarity, and mm-hmm. you know, Bobby's been around for a while, and other coaches uh, have been around for a while, and they probably have a better sense of personnel and how to defend. Um, you know, I, looking at the roster this year, I think it's an NCAA tournament roster. I do. Uh, you know, just with the size that they have, um, you know, with the Cambridge brothers and what they have brought, I, I think it's an NCAA tournament team. So, therefore, if they don't make it, I think, you know, <laughs> who's playing, who's, who's at fall here? They haven't had any major injury. I know there was the whole Marcus Bagley drama earlier in the season, but I still think this is an NCAA tournament team. Um, for whatever reason, you know, there is a strong defensive team, but it just seems like with Bobby's teams, it becomes a struggle uh, offensively uh, mid to late in the year, particularly with shooting. And I and I think there's uh, a conversation to be had whether the offensive freedom that he gives uh, his team and everything's kind of you know um, beating guys, you know, ball screen, beating guys off the dribble, and creating driving lanes and then uh, driving dish opportunities. Um, you know, they just haven't shot the ball well enough for it to stand up. And I, I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, you know, it, it could be as simple as making shots when they when they're when they present themselves. But but you're right. It, it definitely gets to a point to where every year 
you know, there's there's just kind of this law where no matter how far they get, where it looks like they're in the field, <laughs> there's like a magnet where the bubble always kind of pulls them back closer to that, uh, you know, you have to really finish strong to get into the field. He's Doug Howler from The Athletic on the KDOS hotline here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. ASU has to try and pick up some wins late in the season in order to make it kind of a question mark for the committee. And it starts Saturday at noon in Tucson against Arizona. But for the U of A, it's kind of been the Tabellas show for most of the season. What growth, though, have you seen from Tommy Lloyd's club? Well, I mean, I think it's... um... You know, first of all, Arizona always seems to be a bad matchup for ASU just because of their size, uh, their front court. So, but you know, it seems to be what Tommy Lloyd has done in his first two seasons. Uh, and I guess you know, Sean Miller deserves some credit because uh, some of that last year with his players and even some this year. But um, what they've done in the regular season is established, and even going beyond Saturday's game, uh, I, I just think for them, it's just going to be you know, once again, to determine how deep they go. You know, what are we? Are, are they going to be a team that, uh, you know, that's kind of in the Gonzaga mold that, you know, goes into the, the tournament as a favorite and then for whatever reason finds a bad matchup and loses earlier than what they should have? I think that happened a little bit last year, uh, even though the matchup was difficult. You know, it just depends, like, um, you know, can they take that next step? But, you know, the front court obviously is strong. Uh, their guard play, I think, has always been kind of one of those, like, do they have the guard play to make a deep run in March? But, um, you know, you can't argue with the results. They've been uh, really consistent. Uh, some loss, some losses here and, you know, a couple losses that make great drag routes. But other than that, um, you know, just very consistent. And the next question is, you know, what can they apply that consistently and make a run into March? You know, how important is it for the U of A or for UCLA, for that matter, to be a number one seed in the West? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think, obviously, I think it would mean a lot to the conference, um, you know, especially with the way the conference shapes up and you're looking at, you know, how many bids they may or may not get. But, yeah, I mean, I think any time that you could – and it's, it's changed a little bit. It used to be more so that that first-round game uh, – I don't want to say it was like a buy, but, you know, it was definitely a game that kind of midway through the second half, you're resting your starters for uh, that second round where mm-hmm. obviously uh, anything can go. But, you know, I, I think that the gap is closed, but I still think that that's huge. It's still a huge advantage. I still think there's a big difference between a one and even a two. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's big for either one of those teams. And, and really, if, if, they, if they can finish strong and possibly, you know, close out in Vegas, I, I think there's a chance. Uh, and yeah, if that's there, then obviously that would be good for each for either one of those programs. For the U of A, uh, they do score 83.2 points per game. They pass around the ball to the tune of leading uh, assists third in the in the country in the NCA. What weaknesses, though, do you see with this squad when it comes to facing teams outside of the Pac-12? Well, I, I do think that's one of the strengths of, of, of Tommy's teams, just how well they've, they've shared the ball. Um, weaknesses, I mean... I don't know. I mean, I, I just think it's just a matter of, like, applying to what they've done during the regular season to the postseason. You know, I, I felt like last year they, they were good enough to win it all uh, and, you know, to, to exit as early as they did. You know, the first year I think everyone kind of said, like, well, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's a great first season, and it was. But they should have done better. I mean, they should have, they should have advanced um, deeper into the tournament. And I, I think that's just the biggest question mark for me is just can, can what they do during the regular season, does that transfer into the tournament? Uh, where matchups and everything else kind of play a, a, make a bigger impact. 
On to the Suns we go. Obviously, Kevin Durant added, and we think at some point uh, in the next week or so, he's going to make his Suns debut. A lot of people around the country seems to think that uh, they're going to win the championship now. Is this a championship or bust this year for the Suns? Well, I don't think you make a trade like that, Bob, without saying we're all in. Um, but, I mean, they may be better positioned to to win a championship next year rather than this year. Um, just for, for the simple reason that Kevin Durant hasn't played since early January. Um, no one really knows when he does come back, probably Wednesday, what, what's he going to be like? Is he going to need a week or so to kind of get into game shape? I mean, it's not just Kevin Durant. Um, he's coming back into a team, and maybe it doesn't apply as much this year because the Suns have had so many moving parts with injuries, guys in and out. But how is the chemistry? How is it going to? His presence going to affect the chemistry? It's not like he's, you know, a role player or even a good player. He's one of the best who best scorers who ever played this game. So what's that going to look like? What's his health going to be? Even if he would have come back this Friday, the Suns were looking at 22 games. Um, you know, it's a short second half of the season. 22 games to get this figured out before the playoffs. And, you know, now he's going to miss a game, and, you know, that, that time frame uh, decreases a little bit. So, you know, NBA coaches are, are often say that, you know, at the beginning of the season it takes 15, 20 games to kind of get a feel for who you are. Um, well, I mean, the Suns have uh, those 15 to 20 games, and then, then, it's, then the playoffs start. So um, I, I still think I understand perfectly why you would talent-wise when you put them on paper – uh, I, I would start with first, I would start with them and saying like wow that's an impressive team but you also have a team like Denver who's been playing together all season and has that chemistry down um, and you know so I, mean, I, I would still probably you know I would I'd still probably put Denver as the favorite but the Suns if they can get that worked out um, and if if Kevin Durant can come back and be his normal self they're going to be very dangerous there's no doubt about that. Doug Howler with The Athletic here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Along those lines, you know, you're you're counting on KD, who is coming back from an injury. You're counting on Chris Paul, who has some injury history. You're counting on Devin Booker, who has some injury history. Do the Suns have enough depth around that core group? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, that's everyone's kind of a kind of glossing over that part of it. They're just assuming everyone's going to come back and KD is going to be KD and Chris Paul is going to be Chris Paul. Now, in Chris Paul's case, I will say, you know, he, he has had some time this year to kind of keep his body fresh, dealing with minor, not, nothing major, but minor injuries that have kept him off the court. So I think that's good. Um, you know, and, and even with Devin, I mean, missing that time like he did it, and that's an injury sometimes that can flare back up. So health is definitely a concern. Um, I, I think it sounds like they're going to get campaign back uh, here shortly, maybe even as soon as uh, this week or, or next. I think that's going to be a huge boost for them. Um, and then after that, it's just kind of figuring – it's on Monty Williams to kind of figure out the parts, the rotations, and how that's going to work, who's the fifth starter going to be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously the depth will be a, a factor defensively. I think I have questions losing Mikhail Bridges and what they bring and what they have. Uh, you know, can they get stops when they need to in a close game? So, yeah, there are definitely uh, question marks. Death is one, uh, defense is another, and, and health is the biggest um, that they have to figure out here in the next, uh, I would say, month or so. Obviously, the Cardinals have undergone a lot of changes here, front office, head coach, et cetera, and they've got a whole bunch of free agents. There's a lot of work to do uh, between now and the start of the league year and beyond. So what, what do we? What, what's your assessment of the Cardinals at this point? Yeah, it's kind of, uh, you know, I don't, 
I, I, don't, I think it's fine to go young. I think the NFL's been trending toward, toward that side for a while now. But the fact that you have your three most important coaches who are, are all doing this for the first time for the most part, um, you know, Jonathan Gannon is, has tremendous in, in, energy. It's really something to be around him. Uh, but, you know, you have Nick Rollis, who, you know, 29 is a defensive coordinator. You have an offensive coordinator coming in. Uh who has really only coached quarterbacks for two seasons in his NFL career, that, that is a little bit concerning, I think. I think experience could be overrated, but the fact that your main three guys, um, you know, just don't have a lot of experience doing or moving into the roles that they're, that they're now in. I will really be interested to see um, how that's going to turn out. I mean, obviously he's still filling out his staff and that you can get, and he's expected to get some more experienced guys. But, you know, I'm really interested to see how the offensive coordinator works, you know, just being around Kyler Murray, uh, you know, because Kyler Murray had, you know, was working with Cliff Kingsbury, who was, you know, kind of handpicked Kyler, and, you know, they had history, and that didn't work out really well. So, you know, how long, I mean, a guy that's, that's only worked uh, with quarterbacks for two seasons, you know, I think he's going to have to make a strong impression to start because Kyler doesn't strike me as someone, um, you know, who, who will kind of let, who will, let someone kind of grow on the job with him. I think he needs somebody right away to say, hey, look, once I'm healthy, let, let's get going. Let's take this next step. So I'm really interested to see how that dynamic works out. Doug, we greatly appreciate you going around Valley Sports with us, and we'll do it again really soon. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Once again, he is Doug Haller, and follow the plethora of work that he has coming out from The Athletic. Uh Interesting stuff there about uh, Kyler Murray and uh, what his perception is about the offense. He makes a good point there about uh, having to make that strong first impression because it seems like as time went on, the relationship between him and Cliff Kingsbury deteriorated. And that's obviously not what you want to have happen. You need to be able to build around Kyler Murray because you paid him all that money. Yeah, and you always wonder you know, whether you know, we saw a lot of it publicly. <laughs> so you wonder whether that's uh, if, if anybody's at fault for that. And uh, if you think somebody's at fault of that, is that the guy that's still here or the guy that's gone? Answering the poll questions on the other side of the break. If you haven't voted, still time to do so. KDOS1060.com and on Twitter at KDOSAM1060. It is the extra point here on KDOSAM1060. Carving out time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDOSAM1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDOS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Twelve forty-one here on KDOS AM ten sixty in the extra points. You can always listen to us terrestrial radio KDOS AM ten sixty online at KDOS ten sixty dot com. And now with the new KDOS ten sixty app, Apple and Android users download the app powered by SuperBook Sports and take advantage of the listener rewards. As we turn this conversation today over to the poll questions, we'll start with the KDOS ten sixty dot com poll question. ASU basketball, rank your level of disappointment regarding the Pac-12 regular season. High, moderate, and low are the options. Uh, for me, it's high. Uh, you cannot lose five conference home games. You only played ten, uh, and they lost, obviously, uh, arguably, if you include Oregon, the four best teams in the conference. 
uh, you know, certainly the three best teams in the conference. They lost to the U of A, UCLA, and USC at home. And, yeah, they could have won two of those games, and they did not. We're able, only, only unable, he tried to say, uh, to close out UCLA. And then a couple days later, they just got basically beat from start to finish and out-hustled and outplayed by USC. I mean, the U of A game, they were by, behind by 100 and then made what was a uh, you know second-half run, quote-unquote. At no point in that game against the U of A on uh, New Year's Eve did I think the U of A was going to lose that game day issue. But to me... Yeah, if you aspire to be an NCAA tournament team, you cannot be losing half of your conference games. In fact, I'm not going to do the research on this, but I can't imagine there are very many teams that have made the NCAA tournament over the last last number of years or forever that has lost half of its conference home games. That's just inexplicable. I'm on the moderate side of things here because, I mean, I agree with you that they showed something impressive in the non-conference in the non-conference portion of the season. We were both kind of high on them. Uh, but then as we kind of now take a look back at the non-conference season, maybe it wasn't as impressive as it was kind of led us to believe when it was all unfolding at the time. Uh, it certainly is, though, something that is just very disappointing, though, that there's wins that take place in non-conference play and then it falls short of expectations once you hit conference play. This has now been a consistent thing over the last couple of years under this uh, under Bobby Hurley's leadership. Um, I, I just wonder, though, if we kind of change our expectations and yet maybe those expectations were too high to start out, that this is kind of where things always were at with this team. There's always so much drama as well surrounding this team with these five-star recruits coming in and out. What happened with Marcus Bagley? He's not on, on the team anymore. So there's just always been so much that kind of surrounds the team that has nothing to do with the on-course performance on-court performance, and yet it, it certainly uh, impacts what's going on in the season. So in general, I think it is a disappointment. In general, I think that it hasn't delivered to the expectations of kind of making this program more of a contender uh, in, in Pac-12 play, that the resources should be there to, to be able to put together a team. I know that the 2020 year certainly derailed maybe the explosiveness that we could have seen from this program and the trajectory that this program could have gone on. Uh, so I'm just going to say moderate at this point. Uh, but in general, I think there is just disappointment that it hasn't really panned out. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with your answer. The reason I'm a little stronger, uh, obviously, is that I'll add one more thing. Uh, yeah, I mentioned that they lost, obviously, to, to the U of A, UCLA, and USC. You can't be losing home games to Colorado. I'm no. sorry. <laughs> And uh, the other thing is that you we've talked about the for years, actually, the, the success that Hurley's teams have had in non-conference play in November and December, and they've beaten some really good – they won a game at Kansas, God forbid, uh, in one of those years and, and you know, played Kansas here, uh, in fact, and, and had success. Uh, so I, I just don't understand. It's not like the Pac-12 is the Big 12 here or a you know, top-notch conference most years, other than the year that they had, you know, obviously, I think it was four teams in the Sweet 16. Uh, that was the COVID year, so I don't even think you know, pretty much the COVID year 
in all sports, I've kind of just said, hey, it doesn't really count, or I, I shouldn't say that, but I don't think it has as much meaning to me as it does other years because every sport uh, during that uh, you know, 12-month stretch really was modified. Uh, and you know the actual conclusions, I think, are skewed somewhat. I will say that when we were talking with Doug Haller, and if you missed that conversation, you can always podcast over at kdos1060.com, uh, brought up an interesting point, one that we've discussed as well. Just where does everything stand in terms of the finances for ASU Athletics, yeah. the importance of ASU Athletics for them to put – men's hoops as a priority to to try to make a change do they have the the financial means to try to do something like that yeah and you know going back to the home arena thing um you know when i was in high school i went to a high school we, we you know we played the state championship game in the activity center back in 1975 and even at that point the activity center compared to McHale and tucson uh, the, the facilities, there was no comparison. I mean, you know, the U of A was way ahead at that time. And quite frankly, the activity center, now whatever they call the thing in uh, Tempe, uh, whichever sponsorship they have this week, which I've kind of lost track of over the years, but uh, it's not that much different than it was in 1975, quite frankly. Yikes. Uh, moderate is the winner for today's poll question. 64% of the vote, high sitting at 27% and low trailing at 9% of the vote. That's kdos1060.com. Flipping this question over to Twitter at kdosam1060. Uh, Bob, you had a conversation with Jesse Alger talking all things Padres. And if you missed that podcast over at kdos1060.com. But for the question, Padres, 2023 win-loss total over under sitting at 90 three and a half wins so you go and you pick up Xander Bogarts in the offseason uh you then also bring in Michael Waka to help out the rotation I do have some questions about the rotation obviously you Darvish has been really good I have to get you Darvish from his Cubs days out of my mind uh question marks though about uh Snell is he going to be able to continue what he did last year then you also have the questions of is Josh Hader going to be good enough to be your closer he had trouble uh, there for a bit in Milwaukee. He was traded, had a little bit more success with the Padres. So which Josh Hader are you going to get? How's your bullpen going to uh, unfold on all of all of that front? You expect Juan Soto to get back to his hitting ways. You have Manny Machado at some point. For, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to come back. So you potentially have a very penalizing lineup uh, at the plate for opposing pitchers. So I do think that with the expectations that this team now has, you go all in to make it happen. You have to get it done. I would say that the signs point to going over 93 and a half wins. I agree with that. Um, Not going to financially invest in this, at least at the moment. I don't think that's going to change. Uh, you rarely do I take the high numbers and bet the over and uh, these type of things over the years. And I am also I'm going to use this, uh, you know, not an excuse, but I'm going to use this answer for a while. You know, with the change of the schedule, I'm not exactly sure how to dive into these you know, over under totals, which I have uh, you know gotten pretty involved in over the years. Uh, so you know, if I had to do something, it would be the over. I like their roster which I did not like last year at the trade deadline. 
Uh, you know, they certainly uh, was you know, surprised me and I think most others when they eliminated the Dodgers in four games in the division series. But I do like their current roster. And, you know, I think that the fact that, you know, quite frankly, Josh Bell's not there anymore, uh, who had a horrendous regular season. That's one of the trades I did not like that they made last year at the deadline. Nothing against Josh Bell. In fact, I think he's in a good spot now in Cleveland. Uh, he's a switch hitter, but as a left-handed hitter, that's a good ballpark to hit in for him. Uh, you know, so that, I think, is an upgrade. And also, I'm curious, as I talked about uh, with Jesse, I'm not real sure how they're going to divide the you know first uh, the first base, second base, and even shortstop to that matter. I assume you know they're not going to Bogarts is not going to agree to a contract. Then maybe they just paid him so much he didn't have a choice. But I think there's got to be some kind of promise at least this season that he's going to play shortstop the entire season. But you know, truth be told, Kim is their best defensive shortstop by far, and that's nothing against Bogarts or even Tatis for that matter. Kim might be the best defensive shortstop in baseball, uh, but he's not going to play shortstop. So we'll see how all that goes. The masses, 54.5% of the vote on the underside of things, over sitting at 45.5%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. As we head out to conclude this edition of Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060, the latest update from the Suns officially ruled out for tomorrow is Kevin Durant. Campaign is officially listed as questionable and Landry Shamit remains out and will be reevaluated in a week. So at least those, uh, at least that part of Landry Shamit's uh, update remains the same as what we were told before the All-Star break. So we'll see how all of that unfolds. But we wrap things up on this Thursday, February 23rd edition on the other side of the break. He is Bob Kemp. I am Kayla Mortolaro. It is The Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060. Monday nights from 7 to 8 p.m. It's James Out West featuring Ryan Brooks as the duo breaks down the NFL, NBA, and the local sports scene here on KDUS AM 1060. February 23rd edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and with the new KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. But it's that time once again, Bob. It is thank you time. As always, sorry to interrupt there. So I'm just so excited to talk about this. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else. Super to the cracks. Also, our guest today. A Padre season preview with the radio play-by-play man, Jesse Agler, and uh, good stuff from Jesse. He thought the 93.5 sounded just about right, and and I agree with that. I think that's a good number. And also, we talked Alley Sports uh, in this hour with Doug Haller from The Athletic, including uh, some ASU and some Suns and some Diamondbacks. Some, uh, we didn't get the Diamondbacks, but we did get to the uh, Cardinals and uh, what's been going on there lately, which is a lot. Also, Saturday, courtesy of FS1. 
KWFN, also Yes Network and ESPN. And a special thanks, as always, to Kayla and Corey and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. Up next, from 1 to 3 o'clock, it is the Doug Gottlieb Show, followed by the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, the Sports View with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6, and ASU Women's Basketball taking on Oregon State tonight, pregame 7.30 p.m. and tip-off at 8 here on KDUS AM 1060. So, Bob, you want to just hear some volatility at the Honda Classic? I would mention that at any point in time, things could turn on a dime for you. Thomas Dietrich, he's kind of uh, exploded onto the scene as somebody to pay attention to here. And so he starts off his round with a birdie. Then he makes a double. Then he makes a birdie. So you're even through three. You're on a bit of a roller coaster. You're looking to kind of settle things down. Makes a par on hole four, but then hole five makes a bogey, starts to cruise through six, seven, and eight, and then bam, hole nine takes a triple and finishes the first nine holes at four over par. Not good. No. That that triple bogey thing does not work out well usually. I'm pretty sure about that. No. uh, It it takes, well, what, three holes to make up for a triple bogey? If you were to go birdie, 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 you'd be back to even. That's... That's hard to do. Uh, But as we take a look at the top of the leaderboard, Joseph Bramlage, uh, Billy Horschel remain at five under par. And your uh, odds-on favorite, Sunjay M, climbing up the leaderboard. He's at three under par through eight holes in Thursday's round. Did you happen to see this about uh, Colt McCoy? Michael Bidwell was on Dave Pash's podcast, and he said that Colt McCoy is dealing with an unspecified injury. Michael Bidwell didn't... uh, divulge what the injury is that will limit him this offseason so not only are you not going to have kyler murray but now you may not have colt mccoy for a portion of offseason work i did not see that uh you know i was wondering about mccoy he obviously had the concussion towards the end of the regular season and it's not his first concussion if you count his college career certainly at texas and wondered if uh, mccoy would be back uh, but it seems as if uh, you know he's had ample opportunity to say he's not going to return if he's not going to you know he's not a young dude. And I assume if he wants to, the Colt McCoy is going to be a coach in the NFL someday, as an assistant or a coordinator or a quarterbacks coach or whatever. Uh, so he's got options, I think. And plus, we saw his family in Hard Knocks, and that seems to be a nice group of folks too. So there you go, got a nice family started. Before we go, remember the lunch for two Porta subs for a year and 2023 spring training tickets are available to you as a grand prize winner. It's simple. Download the KDOS 1060 app and listen every day for your chance to get one entry per day into the grand prize drawing. Once again, that's all over at the KDOS 1060 app. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have yourselves a fantastic Thursday. We'll do it again tomorrow.